0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, good afternoon and hope you had a fantastic week. Welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, the Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council and your Friday host. An honor to be with you and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. All right, the financial bill that has come about for the Biden administration's mismanagement of the southern border has finally taken a toll on some major cities, including New York City. Mayor Eric Adams has announced sweeping cuts to the tune of $7 billion with a B, $7 billion of uh, deficits that they have in their budgets, So he's putting forth tremendous cuts. Uh, and listen, all of this represents an insecure border that has obvious ramifications, both financially and as it relates to national security issues. So we'll be talking with Congressman Randy Weber here in just a few moments about that. And after his meeting uh, at the APEC summit with, with Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping, President Biden yesterday stayed in California, and last night he spoke about the economy. Interestingly, he accused Americans who don't uh, fully agree with the success of Bidenomics, he accused us of having a disconnect. Acknowledges there's a disconnect between the numbers and how people feel about their place in the world right now. We can deal with the second part as well. We still have work to do, but our model for growing is delivering real results for all Americans. So why do 78 percent, 78 percent of Americans believe that the economy is headed in the wrong direction? Talk about a disconnect. Well, stay tuned. We'll be talking with Joel Griffith, from the Heritage Foundation on that issue here a little bit later in the program. And earlier this week, the March for Israel took place in Washington, D.C., and it showed absolutely the best of people standing up in behalf of Israel. But uh, unfortunately, at the same time, we were watching anti-Semitic behavior all throughout the country.
2: We were already, as I testified earlier, already in an elevated threat environment even before October 7th, and it's gone to a whole nother level since October 7th. Um, The biggest chunk uh, of the threats that have been uh, reported into us uh, by a good margin are threats to the Jewish community, uh, synagogues, uh, Jewish prominent officials, uh, things like that.
1: Well, that was, of course, FBI Director Christopher Wray as he testified before the uh, Homeland Security Committee earlier this week. And I will be talking with Chris Gasick from uh, Family Research Council about that and how we should respond. Also, I'll be joined by David Clausen from FRC as well. So, friends, we've got a packed program, a lot to unpack for you. So, I encourage you to stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. But if by chance, You miss any portion of today's program you can catch it at our website tonyperkins.com there's also tons of available information there for you as well as archived programs so you don't want to be far away from that website again tonyperkins.com all right let's jump into the program for today as i mentioned a while ago new york city among others is facing a tremendous budgetary problem due in large part to the president's mishandling of the immigrant and the border crisis that's taking place. Uh, We're looking at all sorts of ramifications coming about as a result of these and of course as a result some of the things by the way that are going to be cut in New York City of course education libraries but catch this police funding Yeah, the police funding is going to drop to the lowest since the early 1990s. Wow. Well, the left is furious about all of it. And quite frankly, so should citizens all across this country because all of it comes back on the president's watch and the horrible policies on our southern border there. Well, I'm uh, glad to be joined now to uh, discuss this further with Congressman Randy Weber he serves on the House Energy and Commerce Committee, as well as the Committee on Science, uh, Space, and Technology. He represents the 14th Congressional District of the great state of Texas. Congressman Weber, thank you so much for joining us again on Washington Watch. Great to see you.
3: Thank you, Jody. Great to see you all.
1: Well, listen, I, let's begin with this, this whole thing. You obviously are from a border state yourself. You have seen up close and personal the ramifications of the president's policies on the border. But now the rippling effect is taking place in uh, large cities all across the country, not the least of which is New York City. So just overall, give me your thoughts as to what um, Mayor Adams is talking about here.
3: You know, I would call it poetic justice, Jody, if it wasn't so sad. Uh, you know, I was in the Texas House for four years. I was vice chair of the Borders Committee my second term. We saw it up close and personal, as you pointed out. It's going on much, much worse today, and you probably know this about Texas. Uh, since in 2021, we spent $4.5 billion going forward, and now they're looking at $4.6 billion in the next session coming up. We've been dealing with this for a long, long time, in these so-called sanctuary cities, quote unquote, uh, turns out that they, they don't like what they're getting, even a minute, minute percentage of what Texas is getting. And the fact that they're defunding, this sounds like the second phase of defunding police. It's unbelievable what they're doing. They're getting a taste of this medicine and they don't like it. Maybe they'll start putting pressure on Biden and company to do their, especially myorkas, to do the right thing.
1: Yeah, you know, I think your description of this being poetic justice, it really is a reality. You and I, we've been to the border many times. Of course, you there from Texas have seen even more of it than I have. And I've been to all nine sectors. I have some very dear friends who were just down there last week shooting a documentary. And the footage they got is horrendous. What you have experienced in Texas is nothing, like you said, compared to what's happening in New York City. And yet what's happening in New York City is overwhelming them. This ought to be sending chills up and down the the spines of every Americans. You and your colleagues uh, just this past week had some pretty strong words. Uh, You mentioned Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, Do you think anything ever is going to come about to hold him accountable for the horrible job he's doing?
3: Boy, I hope so, Jody. I was really disappointed and saddened that eight of our colleagues voted not to move that impeachment resolution forward and rather to send it back to the committee. Uh, He has been, oh my gosh, he's been so derelict in his duties for the entire time. As I said, as the former uh, vice chairman of the Borders Committee in Texas, I I can tell you how bad things are. And the fact that he is turning a blind eye, he's living in a la-la land somewhere, Alice in Wonderland, maybe, I guess, him and the president. Uh, I I just hope we can hold them both accountable, quite frankly.
1: I do, too. And millions of Americans do as well, Congressman Randy Weber. Uh, Listen, I want to go on to some other uh, topics, but you mentioned eight of your colleagues who really voted with the Democrats not to hold uh, Secretary Mayorkas accountable. And, look, I am not going to ask you to... Yeah, I I don't want to speculate too far because I understand that's all this is this question. But do you have any idea why eight of your colleagues feel as though holding Mayorkas accountable is somehow crossing a red line that they refuse to to uh, cross? I mean, what what any idea what they're thinking?
3: I I do, Jody. I talked to a couple of them. You know me. I'm a pretty level-headed guy. I don't get mad. I don't get angry. Uh, I just go ask them what's the deal, reasoning, what was behind it. I'm not going to be, you know, uh, talked down to them for any reason, but a lot of people would have. But one of the things, most often, things they stated was look, it should go through the committee. It should go back to the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, who handled the board, or maybe it's Homeland Security, one of, the, one of those two committees. And so that they could actually have a discussion about it. They could call in witnesses, they could swear them under oath. They could go through, as you know, what we call regular order, and they would get this handled through the committee and then bring it back to the House for a vote. But quite frankly, you know, I understand that they want to abide by the the institution's quote-unquote rules, practices of regular order. But so much is at stake here, and we need to act quickly. And this guy has been in front of the committees before. You've seen the video, Jody. He's got – we have operational control of, of the border. He is out to lunch on this. I think they're getting exactly what they want. They want more people coming in. And uh, he really needs to be held accountable and and as quickly as possible. You know, we didn't talk about this, but you know there's a lot of illegals coming across. Um, When I say illegals, I mean foreign fighters possibly. I don't know if you've seen those numbers. Uh, There's about 72,000 illegals. These are the ones that we know about. The uh, border patrol has caught uh, Afghanistan, Yemen, Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, Egypt, Pakistan, Mauritania, Uzbekistan, and Turkey. There are seventy-two thousand of them now. Jody, if we missed ten percent, those are the what they call the gotaways. If we missed ten percent of those foreign illegals coming in from those, ter- what I'd call those countries have or and more te- uh, prone to more terrorism. Ten percent of that would be seventy-two hundred possible terrorists in this country right now.
1: Yeah, uh, hundreds potentially of terror sure. cell groups here. Uh, it, it's 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 unthinkable. Uh, it really is. And uh, listen, I I do hope y'all will be able to hold some accountability. Let me ask you real quickly because our time is is running away. But uh, speaking of national security, which the southern border certainly is, but the President met with the Chinese president yesterday, and among other things, they discussed green energy, and it looks as me I'd like your opinion that the president was out negotiated the, the deal that's uh, seemingly going to be made uh, that China is going to be loose at best at, at uh, upholding their end of the deal, but it's going to uh, put us in shackles in terms of our own energy. Your thoughts on the president's deal on green energy
3: he's oblivious to the facts. You know, renewables are good. Uh, renewables cannot play a leading role in our energy sectors here. It can play a supporting role, but we'd better be energy independent and energy dominant in the world. For him to think that he can make a contract with killers and communists, that's where they are, or, you know, how, how they treat the Uyghurs and other people, um, and that they would uphold that agreement, contract, whatever you going to call it, tree, whatever, uh, he's, ob- he's, man, he's oblivious. And not only that, but if he starts bringing in more of the fossil fuel industry and killing our industry over there and then buying, expecting us to buy more products, well, guess who manufactures the most green energy products? It's China. China's economy, as you know, is struggling. Why would we want to help them, at the, especially at the expense of tearing down our fossil fuel energy sector? It makes no sense.
1: It makes no sense, and that's the $6 million question, so to speak, that needs to be answered, and we need answers. The American people deserve answers. Congressman Randy Weber from Texas, always great to see you, my friend, wishing you and your family the greatest of Thanksgivings. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch.
3: Same to you, Jody. Thank you.
1: All right, friends. Coming up, the president, as we mentioned, uh, stayed over at the APEC Summit last night and spoke about the economy. He says that we're all disconnected if we don't think his Bidenomics, so to speak, is totally successful. If that's the case, then why don't the Americans believe him? Well, We'll be talking about that after the break, so don't go anywhere. Much more straight ahead. Stay
4: Get this free guide at frc.org/slash prolifemen to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and we're honored to have you with us this Friday edition. All right, the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit continued in San Francisco yesterday. And President Biden uh, spoke at a dinner last night where he indicated that Americans who are unhappy with the current state of the economy must be experiencing some sort of disconnect. Acknowledge there's a disconnect between the numbers and how people feel about their place in the world right now. We can deal with the second part as well. We still have work to do, but our model for growing is delivering real results for all Americans. That's amazing. All that despite an economy that has 61% of Americans literally living from paycheck to paycheck and 78% of Americans disapprove of the president's handling of the economy. But the Biden administration continues to push upon us that Bidenomics is working. Who knows? Maybe they even believe that themselves. But at any rate, joining me now to discuss this is Joel Griffith. He's the Financial Regulations Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Joel, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Thank you, Jody. Well, listen, President Biden just keeps giving all these speeches, trying to assure Americans that Bidenomics is working. But why? That's a silly question, perhaps. But why don't people believe him? Well,
5: people don't believe Bidenomics is working because they feel that it's not working. And it bears truth in the data. The typical family has lost more than $4,000 in real inflation-adjusted income since President Biden took office. And that $4,000 pay cut is not even taking into account the rising homeownership costs. If you're looking to get a mortgage right now on a standard middle-class home, that mortgage payment is costing you about $1,000 Per month more than it would have cost you just a year and a half ago. And this is a big reason why, as you've seen real income decline, we've also seen credit card balances hit an all-time record $1 trillion. That's about a $3,000 family increase over the past year and a half, even as savings rates have plunged near all-time lows. Bidenomics has been a disaster
1: for American families. It's a disaster for American families, You're, and yet they keep pushing upon us that somehow this is working. It, it honestly makes you wonder, what is their definition of working? Are they trying to make it hard on, on families or what? I'm sure you saw uh, Fox poll, uh, Fox News uh, brought, put out a poll yesterday where uh, 78% of Americans rate the economy negatively, and perhaps even more telling, 67% believe that the worst of it all is not over yet. Uh, do you well, agree with that? Well, the, yes, This is
5: the, these are the worst economic conditions since the 1970s. Many of your listeners weren't even working in the 1970s, and that was a time when we also had declining real income, and we also had sky-high inflation. So arguably it's even worse now than it was then because it's never been less affordable to buy a home. If you look to buy a home it costs you about half of your income just to make the mortgage payments and the property taxes. It has never been this bad in terms of home And you mentioned work in passing. Well, every month the Biden administration loves to tout these jobs growth numbers, but what they fail to tell us is actually that over the last six months, we've actually seen a decline in full-time jobs. The only reason why we have seen the top line jobs growth numbers positive is because we've seen a surge in part-time jobs, meaning we have a lot more people today working double jobs just
1: to pay the bills. Well, you're spot on uh, on that. There's no question. You know, and it just really grates me when he comes on and uh, talks down to the American citizens saying, you've got to have- be disconnected if you don't think this thing is working. I, you know, and, and this is coming from a president, remind everyone, that allegedly i mean he's under investigation for allegedly receiving millions and millions of dollars from uh laundering or bribery or whatever the case may be uh, from foreign countries yeah there is a disconnect uh but i just we better not go there uh but uh yesterday let me move on yesterday president biden signed the continuing resolution the cr uh, that was initiated in the house and of course that delays big spending fights until after Thanksgiving and, in fact, into 2024. Uh, What would you like to see happen with all of this?
5: Well, for most businesses, we have a budget that is determined by the end of the business's fiscal year. It is middle of November right now. Most people don't realize this, but our federal government fiscal year actually ended on September 30th. And guess what? Congress failed to pass a budget. and The president failed to sign one. So we're now two months overdue from having a budget. Now, what we're doing right now with this continuing resolution, basically what that does is it continues to maintain government spending at the levels from last year. Now, that's better than what Congress has done in years past, which is right before Thanksgiving holidays, passing about a 1,500-page federal budget in the middle of the night without people having any chance to actually review it. But what Congress should be doing is actually dividing up the federal budget into the 12 separate appropriations bills and allow Congress to have an actual debate. You know, spending is out of control. It's been out of control a long time. The interest we're paying right now on the federal debt is $10,000 per family per year. The amount of money that we've borrowed over the prior year is $25,000 per family of four. We cannot keep this up. A big part of the reason why families today are suffering from this inflation, which has obviously been such a, an impact on families, a big part of that is because for the last three years, we have spent wildly beyond our means, and we relied on our central bank to print the dollars to buy that debt. We have to change this trajectory now, and I'm hopeful Congress will actually attempt to do so once they come back from Thanksgiving and Christmas break.
1: Yeah, and I think they will. I I. I... Listen, I've been there myself. Uh, Exactly what you described is uh, right before Christmas in the dark of night, all these enormous, horrible bills are passed. Hopefully, this will avoid that and a new day will be coming to pass those appropriation bills. Joel Griffith from the Heritage Foundation, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Happy Thanksgiving to you, sir. You as well. Thank you, Jody. All right, friends, we've got much more to come. And by the way, I have firmly believe that this whole economic issue is going to be a major issue coming into this upcoming election cycle of 2024. And who knows what President Biden and the Democrats might do if these numbers don't change. But we'll see as that unfolds. All right, stay tuned. We've got much, much more to cover. You don't want to miss. We'll be right back after this break. And welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss. We welcome you aboard. All right. Three Jewish students have sued New York University for its alleged failure to enforce anti-discrimination policies. They're saying that the university mishandled clear cases of harassment and discrimination. And to be honest, this represents yet another example of rising anti-Semitism Uh, But frankly, it's not surprising to anyone who has been watching this whole thing very closely. In fact, my next guest actually authored a report back in 2018 warning about all of this. And he was spot on in that report. With me now to discuss this is Chris Gasek. He's a senior fellow for regulatory affairs here at the Family Research Council. Chris, thank you for joining us. Good to see you. It's good to see you. All right, first of all, Alyssa, uh, I referenced your report, probably most of our viewers and listeners are not that familiar with your report. Uh, so
2: give us a little, big, uh, a little background on it. Well, what prompted it was that uh, I was following a lot of I was very interested in this whole problem, which seemed to me to be growing and very alien to the world that I had sort of grown up in, which was I grew up in Miami, Florida, which had a very you know, it was a big Jewish community. I had a lot of Jewish friends. And I, I, I was seeing the whole world kind of becoming more and more hostile to Jewish people, and uh, especially on campuses. So I was following uh, some newspapers, and there was one in particular, the Algemeiner. It's an electronic Orthodox Jewish paper out of Brooklyn. And uh, they did a list of, you know the top 20 anti-Semitic schools in colleges in America. And they had done it, I think, one year before. So I, I started, you know, I looked up all the schools. I did a lot of research on it, and that's what sort of prompted me to write the paper. And uh, you know, there were a number of things about it, but it was obvious uh, going back five years ago that that uh, this was going to become a bigger problem. I mean, I don't think anybody could have guessed that it would, you know, go thermonuclear like it did on October seventh or and thereabouts. But you know, and afterwards. But uh, it's it's something that it was definitely foreseeable. I think.
1: Yeah, and not only what happened on October 7th, but the aftermath of October 7th. I mean, the, like you said, the the nuclear explosion of anti-Semitism here in the United States and our university campuses and even worldwide. uh, Explain, if you can, Chris, uh, just how massive the shift has been just in five years since you first wrote this paper and gave the warning compared to what it looks like
2: now. So, in, in uh, 2018, in and, and those, those lists, the, the list of the 20 schools, and there were many mother schools, I, I, I dove into a lot of this and, and was really trying to study which schools were the worst in the country and get a, a handle on this, and, uh, you know, what you would have, and, and, and part of the big problem here is, and I've talked, I talked about this in the paper quite a bit, is this organization, Students for Justice, uh, Students for Justice in Palestine, and, you know, um, they. Are essentially, in my way of thinking, the equivalent of a Klan group on basically 200 college campuses. No one would tolerate this kind of behavior on on a college campus if the Klan were actually there. But this this is tolerated, and, and sort of because you have Middle Eastern studies programs that are all in many schools that are c- clearly anti-Semitic. This is sort of have become woven into the fabric of of you know. 50, 100 universities and colleges across America. And what they are about, I mean, essentially is a um, violent and, uh, sometimes violent, but, but always rhetorically aggressive and attack-filled organization going after Jewish students. In a way, what they're trying to do is, is make, there, there was a term in, in German, you know, Judenrein, to make, make uh, Germany, you know, free of Jews. And that's essentially what their, their, old, their, their goal and their mission is on campus, it's to, to rid uh, colleges of campus voices. And, uh, you know, you know and, and since October 7th, you see this explosion. It was so interesting because even on October 7th or on October 8th, before Israel even started to respond, there were these protests and a letter, you know, was, was drafted immediately at Harvard with uh, over 30 student groups attacking, uh, you know, supporting the – uh, the Hamas terrorists, and so I think the, the the sort of the response here then just gathered you know gathered steam you have you got a student at Harvard, a, a Jewish student who was wearing you know a traditional orthodox uh, you know, religious garb, being sort of hounded and chased around the campus and one of the persons doing it was a, was a member of the Harvard Law Review, apparently so I mean uh, no one it, it was bad five years ago because. You know, they, there was all this aggressive stuff going on. People were, you know, Zionists were being attacked. And, you know, and, and when they would put up booths, there would be these counter-protests, protests on things like Holocaust Remembrance Day and all this sort of, I mean, really just grotesque stuff. But it was uh, the sort of thing that you can kind of tolerate and get around and, uh, and, and sort of, you know, it, it was at the margins. But, but this is, it's, it's gone to the next level. And now, now you're sort of seeing real actual violence and people are, you know, the kids then were, were actually, uh, there were, you know, message boards and one organization actually recorded a lot of these. And that's what I was reading a lot of was what the students were saying. And confidentially, they were saying, you know, I go to NYU, you know, NYU or Columbia, you know, you know, I'm terrified to walk around on school. I'm afraid to express my opinions in class. Well, I mean, now it's just, you know, next level. And there was a great hearing, uh, that, um, Burgess Owens in the house, um, chaired this week, where, some, uh, where a rabbi talked about what he was encountering for Jewish students, and then also there was a, a woman from Yale, a, 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 st- a student there, and it's just absolutely horrifying.
1: Chris, can you hold on after the break, I've got sure. more I want to cover, including the hearing that you just referenced, so sure. uh, we'd appreciate if you hold on, all right. Okay friends, we got much more to cover, you don't want to miss what's coming straight your way, we're going to continue diving deeper as to what's behind all of this and what we need to do to respond to all this anti-Semitism. So much more coming your way right after the break. Don't go anywhere, we'll be back in a moment.
4: Get this free guide at frc.org slash pro to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
1: Welcome back to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Glad to have you joining us. Look, as we head into uh, the the weekend, obviously the house is in recess until after Thanksgiving, uh, but... We here at FRC are committed to pray for our new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Look, he is facing, he and his family are under tremendous pressure, and he is facing some enormous decisions and some enormous challenges in dividing, in leading not only a divided country, but a divided Congress right now. And so we are committed to pray for him and his family these are days that demand wisdom and courage and so we want to pray for him to have that kind of wisdom and courage and we're asking you to join us in that effort and we we want to encourage him by letting him know how many people across the country the tens and tens of thousands are praying for him and His family, you can join us by simply texting the word speaker to six, seven, seven, four, two, text the word speaker to six, seven, seven, four, two. You can also, if you prefer, go to our website, frc.org slash house speaker and do the same thing. Let's encourage him. He's got a lot of challenges ahead of him. All right. Uh, we're honored to have Chris Gasick, who is uh, continuing with us in this second party, stood with us over the break. And this week, the House Subcommittee on Higher Education and Workforce Development had a hearing. He referenced it just a few moments ago. It was confronting the scourge of anti-Semitism on our campuses. And Chris, before I ask you what all came out of the hearing, I want to begin with a clip that I'd like to play for you and then get your remarks. This is by a rabbi who actually testified there at the hearing.
6: Today, the entire community of Jews on campus do not need a home, they need a fortress. The notion of being able to be there, to build, to grow, where the campus is a nurturing environment for all of its students is unfortunately not their reality.
1: I find that shocking to, to hear uh, your comments on that. And what else jumped out at you at the testimony?
2: Well, he, uh, Rabbi Hauer uh, was, uh, was quite, uh, he, he said a number of things in his short four minute statement. Um, but just to go to that, this whole notion that, and what he was sort of, what he was saying was that my group and other groups like ours, you know, we, we would want to provide a home for students that, you know, when they're away in a different Place and you know a, a kind of a religious setting and a, a you know, Jewish setting for people to go to, but, but now they don't need a home, they need a fortress because they need protection. And I think that that fits fits perfectly with what what he was saying, but I'll also go on to another point that he made and he said, it, it, was, it was really moving. He was talking about, he said, the Jewish people know their history and, they, and their history is one in which we go to countries, we prosper, we, we help these countries, we, we become a part of the society and then they spit us out, they, they reject us, they throw us out. And, you know, I mean, this is a reference to the, the Jews being thrown out of um, in England and France and Spain and all of these European countries, right? And a lot of other, a lot of other places. But then he said... We thought that this would never happen in America, and now we have to wonder is this going to happen to us here too And I think we have to as Christians, we just can't let this happen this this is not this is not all right We have to get engaged and and, and really fight this because I think he's he's correct i mean this is this is where we are, and uh it's it's you know it's become incredibly uh dangerous within a short period of time, but that's the world we live in and we have to face this world and we have to act in response.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I, I tend to believe that this is going to not end. If it's not dealt with, this will not end just with the Jewish community. I mean, it will be, uh, religious liberties and people of faith in general, and who knows where it will spread from there. We must stand up for this. And I appreciate you saying that. Let me shift gears, if I can, a little bit, uh, because we had this past week the March for Israel, which was an incredible event. But then we had on Wednesday of this week, the Capitol Police had a confrontation with pro-Palestinian protesters who were blocking members of Congress from leaving the building. And what a contrast between what happened there and what happened
2: at the March for Israel. Well, you were there. So what did you observe? I thought the, the, march, uh, the march for Israel was uh, I mean? It was just breathtaking. It was um, Sarah Holliday, who works here, spoke really beautifully about it uh, earlier in the week. Um, but I'll, I'll just say that it was uh, it was so calm and civilized, and the people were so polite with one another. They were listening. You know, I mean, it, it's like you talk about having a riot outside the building, and you think about the contrast with it. These sort of decent, law-abiding. Honorable people who are listening to, to music and listening to people who are speakers and, and You just couldn't help but have tremendous respect for what apparently something were something approaching 300,000 people that were there. I hope there were a lot of Christians there I, I don't I wouldn't have any way to know that but you know, there were ten of us from FRC. So <laughs> we, we tried to help
1: Absolutely, well, let me ask you this before I let you go do you, do you think there's any indication out there on the horizon that things perhaps can get better as more attention is being drawn to the the problem and the rise of anti-Semitism?
2: I, I, I'm not pessimistic in that regard. I mean, that it, it, it's hopeless, right? I don't believe that at all. But I think we have to uh, we have to work together, and, and we have to work with the Christians and the Jews, and, and, we, and we have to really. Uh, come together, I think. And that, that really hasn't been the case before. And I, th- I think one of the things that we as Christians have to do is help Jewish people. There, there's a lot of distrust. You, 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 it seems, we, we find this hard to believe, but there is a lot of distrust I- about us and, and what our motives are and what we, you know, how we approach things. But but here at this organization and in other places like ours, we come to this with a, with a pure heart. We really love Jewish people and we don't want this to happen and we don't want them to be hurt. So I, I think that, uh, and, and this is very important for a lot of reasons, including the protection of religious minorities. But just because these are the people that you know, like the Apostle Paul says, God gave them the you know gave them the the law and the you know on, on Mount Sinai, right? They, they have a special place, and and we have to you know we're uh, we're grafted into that tree, right? So um, I think Absolutely. it's a, <laughs> so I think we have to. You know, we have to, we have to really work hard. (laughs) All right.
1: Chris Gasek, Senior Fellow for Regulatory Affairs here at FRC. Thank you so much for your insight and expertise. Thanks for joining us on Washington Watch. You're welcome. All right, friends. uh, There was a group of pastors and Christian leaders uh, that gathered at the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. this week. And among other things, they witness a 45-minute video compilation with footage and photos documenting the brutality of the Hamas terrorist invasion of Israel. And, you know, I mean, it included the video included uh, terrorists attacking civilians in their homes, uh, shooting them at the music festival. Uh, and th- th- these videos and images have been withheld from the public simply because of the brutal nature Uh, but also uh, certainly out of respect for the victims' families. But it represents a chilling document of what hate, and in this case, anti-Semitism, what it can do to drive people to do evil things. Well, joining me now to discuss this is FRC's director of the Center for Biblical Worldview, David Clausen. He attended the event at the Israeli embassy this week. David, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you. It's good to be with you, Jody. Thank you. All right. Well, without getting too graphic, how chilling was the video that you saw this week? Honestly, Jody,
6: it was very difficult to sit through that. Um, the, most of the footage uh, that was included in this in this 45-minute film uh, was actually taken from the body cameras of Hamas terrorists. Uh, other footage came from home security systems. Of uh, Israeli families, and uh, Jody again, um, it, it was it was very difficult. There was a couple of times I did need to look away, but it, it was it was senseless, it was callous, it was depraved, uh, watching uh, children uh, having to watch their parents get shot in front of them. Um, again, some of this is it, I don't even feel comfortable speaking about seeing how depraved it was. But for a biblical worldview that t- t- tells me that there's original sin that exists and that we live in a fallen world, it, it was hard to make sense of the sheer uh, evil and, and wickedness um, uh, that was depicted in that. Uh, Jody, um, grateful that I had an opportunity to look at it, and it really. It- and one-, one final thing I'll mention, though, is. It's interesting that, you know, these fighters were wearing a vest and wanting to record this. And that was the other thing that was so horrifying to me, is that often these terrorists would turn the cameras on themselves, uh, saying things like Allah Akbar and and celebrating uh, the fact that they were murdering Jews. Uh, And and so, again, it was it was horrifying. uh, It showed the juxtaposition of of true evil uh, next to just innocent people trying to live their lives.
1: Unbelievable. It's. I have not seen what you are talking about, but I have seen similar uh, images uh, in the past. And it's, I can just tell you, it shook me for days hmm. to get over it. And look, we don't wanna wallow in the darkness, uh, but I do think there is importance to shine the light on the inhumanity, the depravity, the de- the brutality that took place. Uh, that kind of shocking uh, reality tends to awaken people to get involved, to pray, to do whatever they can to help. Uh, give me your thoughts on that.
6: Well, I agree with that, Jody, 100%. And uh, my wife and I, since I came home a couple of days ago from that showing at the embassy, have spent extended amounts of time uh, praying, uh, praying for the hostages, uh, praying for the families uh, that are just trying to put the pieces back together. And so you're you're absolutely right. I think uh, the world does need to know because, unfortunately, you know, it's only been uh, five or six weeks since the, the horrifying events happened. And so many people are wanting to turn the page to move on. Uh, but we shouldn't move on. We need to be supporting our friends in Israel uh, because they're facing an existential threat. They're facing an enemy that wants to wipe them off the face of the earth. And if we don't understand what motivates these terrorists, what motivates Hamas, we're not going to understand the unfolding war that's taking place right now.
1: It's so well said. You know, what, one thing that bothers me, David, is so many on the left seem to literally rally to excuse or defend the actions of Hamas here. Uh, and especially now that you've witnessed just how horrific some of the violence has been, uh, what do you make of that?
6: Yeah, I think, you know, from, from Heyman to Hitler, Uh, anti-Semitism is one of the longest-running scourges uh, on the face of this earth. Um, And and seeing these rallies that have cropped up in Europe and the United States, that are celebrating what Hamas is doing. Uh, Jew hatred is the only thing I can think of. I think there's a spiritual component to this. Uh, It's not just opposition to the current Israeli government. Uh, There's there's a deep-bedded anti-Semitism that's been living amongst us uh, and that I think some on the left are actually shocked themselves to find exploding on college campuses, but one other thing that I think that contributes to this is this intersectionality, this, this critical theory that sees the world through the lens of oppressor and oppressed. And when you see the world, uh, Jody, through the lens of oppressor and oppressed, well, guess what? Uh, The the ends justify the means, and so uh, this justifying of Hamas, this justifying of this terrorist activity, well, from their perspective, if Israel is inherently an oppressor, then Hamas can do do whatever they'd like. Um, and they're, they're not morally blameworthy uh, uh, because uh, they're this, you know, this settler colonialism is what they're fighting against. And so, of course, that's historically naive. That's historically inaccurate. But when this intersectionality critical theory becomes the lens through which you see the world, why it's such a sinister worldview is you can begin to dismiss and explain away almost anything. And so I think this is why worldview matters.
1: It, it really does. You know, there's no question the anti-Semitism is driving so many hatred for Jews, is just driving so many people to evil in this, but others just have a, a lack of knowledge. Yeah. And I think we saw a lot of this. Probably many of our viewers and listeners right now are hearing, they've looked at this uh, Osama bin Laden letter to America. How does something like this fit into our discussion?
6: Well, Jody, I often say when I'm talking to pastors uh, that, you know, we live in a biblically illiterate age. People just don't know actually kind of the basic building blocks of the Scripture. They don't know the basic uh, meta of the Bible. It's also true that we live in a historically illiterate age. Uh, Gen Z now, the generation born between 1998 and 2004, uh, the, the youngest generation of adults and college students, they did not live through 9-11. They, they don't remember what that was like. And so, I think the historical illiteracy, you know, and we shouldn't be surprised when our schools are doubling down on teaching queer theory and feminist theory and LGBT uh, issues and ideologies. Well, guess what? They're not teaching. They're not teaching reading, writing, arithmetic, or basic American history. And and so, I think the historical illiteracy uh, that we've been talking about for a while when we have discussions about education, uh, the chickens are coming home to roost, so to speak, when you have a whole generation that doesn't understand basic issues. Uh, related to our own history, including what led to 9-11.
1: Well, David Clausen, I can't thank you enough for your incredible leadership and helping uh, with resources and articles and uh, just a host of ways, helping spread a biblical worldview. And these days, Christians need to have answers, and they need to engage this. Where can people go to find some more resources and just uh, a... brief few seconds that we have. Yeah,
6: absolutely. FRC.org forward slash worldview is where all of our resources related to this issue and others can be found. FRC.org slash worldview.
1: Well, that wraps up this evening edition and this week of Washington Watch. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you next week right here on Washington Watch.